Hello and welcome to our Spotlight interview. I am Neymar Mondral, Senior Editor of Bioanalysis Zone, and I am delighted to interview Corey Mukaro, Senior R&D Scientist at Merck. So, Corey, the first question, could you please introduce yourself and explain what began your interest in chromatography? Sure, certainly. So, uh, my name is Corey Morocco. I completed my graduate work at Youngstown State University in 2013, where I focused on characterizing oxidized proteins and how those proteins' structure and activity uh, are a leading cause or how they contribute to macular, macular degeneration. And upon completing that graduate work, I joined Millipore Sigma, Merck, um, in, rest, uh, in the rest of the world, first in our chemical standards division, where I focused on developing reference materials for the agricultural uh, and environmental industries. And then gradually in 2015, I migrated over to our liquid chromatography division, where I have been focusing most of my time on developing methods and new particle technology for large biomolecule separations. So that would include things like proteins, monoclonal antibodies, antibody drug conjugates, several other species like that, along with developing also new technologies for both small molecule analysis as well. Um, So what really got me into the separation sciences or what captured my interest was really it's been an adventure in science my entire life. I've always had a lifelong love of science. My parents got me my first real chemistry set, so by real I mean it actually has dangerous chemicals in it, uh, at about six six years old. Uh, I got my first microscope set at about eight years old, and really my love of separation science itself, more more specifically chromatography, occurred in undergraduate organic chemistry, where I did an undergraduate research stint over the summer, and I did a lot of flash chromatography, and it really got me interested in how we can use different by playing around with different conditions like your mobile phase and what solvents you use and how fast of a flow you use can really elicit different separations of compounds and impurities. And so I expanded upon that in my graduate school work where I used several different purification schemes to purify proteins like, by, like for instance, reverse phase chromatography, affinity chromatography, and ion exchange chromatography. And I really consider chromatography kind of, it, it's, it's an elegant puzzle where you, you have a mixture and each of the components in the mixture has a different functionality or a different attribute and it's our job to figure out you know, how to crack the case, how to solve the puzzle by using different modes of chromatography and different methods. Great, and to build on that, could you describe the technologies that you use and what are the advantages and disadvantages of these techniques? So in my laboratory, I use mostly UHPLC, or ultra-high-performance liquid chromatography, and I have that coupled to both a diode array detector, DAD, or UV detector, more commonly known, and I also use an ESI uh, MS, uh, time-of-flight mass spectrometer, and there's some advantages and disadvantages to both of those, um, to both of those instruments. Using a diode array detector is good for doing qualitative work, so you kind of already know what analytes you have or are expected to have in your sample, and you can use a DAD or UV detector to receive if you have any impurities or um, 
any sort of variance within that sample. Proteins typically absorb at about 215 or 280 nanometers, so you can usually detect those pretty readily by using a UV or DAD detector. However, if you want to dig a bit more into some characterization, some high-end characterization of determining accurate masses, or really identifying what post-translational modifications might be present in your biomolecule, you really need to use mass spectrometry for that. The downside with using mass spectrometry, though, is it's still a rather involved technique and it does require a lot of hands-on use to get really good at developing methods and using the instrumentation and the software, or really make some, especially new users, you really have to do a lot of reading or actually attend a formal training course to uh, really get the handle on using that technique. Besides the instrumentation, though, I use several different column technologies to uh, to develop methods for large molecule separations, really depending upon the end goal of the analysis. So as many, as many people know, there are several modes of chromatography, like reverse phase, ion exchange, size exclusion, and you need to use one or two or perhaps many different modes of chromatography to really characterize a biotherapeutic sample and really understand what kind of modifications and what is present within the sample. Great. And Corey, could you just explain the challenges you face with the chromatographic method development? So there are several minor challenges that any chromatographer will face depending on their laboratory, but I'm going to go over two major challenges in method development that, that affect a large quantity of people and of scientists in the field. And those two areas are getting symmetrical peaks of large biomolecules and sufficient resolution of minor variants and impurities from the main analyte peak. So for the first challenge that I mentioned, to solve that, there are new column technologies that are available for the end user to employ, like superficially porous particle packed columns. So you might also hear terms like core shell or fused core columns being thrown out there. And those allow the method developer to get much better peak shape of biomolecules over what could be conventional or standard fully porous particle technology. In addition, I would also recommend that there's some, especially in the past two or three years, there's been some rather unique phase chemistries that have emerged on a lot of HPLC and UHPLC columns that help with minimizing secondary interactions with the underlying silica particle. In addition, there's also been some advances in much wider pore diameters being employed in uh, particle path columns so that you don't get any sort of size exclusion effects of the large molecule. For the second challenge, I would say that it ties closely to the first challenge that I mentioned. So broad, non-symmetrical peaks are usually resulting from, once again, those secondary interactions I mentioned previously, the interactions between the analyte and the surface silanols. And because of that, you can get very broad peaks, and that can actually mask, or you won't be able to see very minor low concentration variants or impurities. And it's just to press this issue, it is very important or even crucial to monitor for impurities and variants because what can happen is these minor components within the sample, these minor variants, can actually elicit an allergic response in a patient if this mixture is going to be used for a biotherapeutic. And that can actually 
deal more harm to the patient than the actual chronic illness that the drug is treating. So what I can say is that mass spectrometry is helping to solve the second challenge a bit more. Mass spectrometers themselves can resolve can, does, do have some resolving power, but I'll, I strongly believe, though, that uh, you can get much better mass spectrometry results and better accuracy and precision if you do a little bit of separation before your sample goes into the mass spectrometer. And how does Merck's portfolio of services help with the challenges you've just explained? So Merck's product portfolio for analytical separations is actually rather unique from a chromatographer perspective because what we can say is that we have all three of the modalities used in column technology. We have fully porous particle particle pack columns that can be employed in either analytical scale, semi-prep, to prep levels. So what this can do is it can help the help during R&D method transfer from the R&D labs to production or quality control laboratories. As I mentioned previously, we have uh, superficially porous particle pack columns, and this using this, this so-called core shell technology can enable one to get very high efficiencies and resolutions of variance and impurities in the sample. And another advantage is that these columns also have a much higher peak capacity and run at lower pressure drops than sub-2 micron fully porous particle pack columns. So if you are in a lab or if you're in a QC lab that has I would say legacy HPLC equipment, so your Agile 1100s, for instance, you can use these columns without worrying about getting back pressure errors or shutdowns during um, uh, a, during a particular um, method run. Finally, what's also what's really unique for us is that we also have monolithic column technology. So a monolith column could be considered one particle total within that column, but this is a very large particle, and it has both mesopores and macropores that run through this, uh, this essentially, you could think of it as a pillar of silica. And this allows that since it is one continuous particle, there's no need for fritz in that column. So that allows us to be allows us to inject very impure samples, samples that might have a complex matrix present in them, and we don't have to worry about um, column plugging or um, back pressure issues due to the fact that there is a non-specific absorption of an impurity within the column. So you don't have to worry about doing extensive sample prep where you might lose some of your analyte of interest, you can just inject that raw sample right onto the column and perform your analysis as is. In addition to those three different modalities for columns, we also have columns for size exclusion chromatography, ion exchange, hydrophilic interaction chromatography, and affinity column, as well as, of course, LCMS rate solvents and accessories for UHPLC equipment. So I guess the takeaway from that is essentially whatever chromatographic challenge that you might be running into in your laboratory, we Merck most likely, most likely has a solution for that challenge. Great. And Corey, what are your top three tips for chromatographic method development? So three tips that I usually employ, and I always try to tell customers and fellow researchers when I'm uh, at conferences and trade shows, and, I, and they ask me that question. The first thing I always like to say, I can summarize in three words, filter, filter, filter. So I guess maybe that's one word said three times, but in any case, the, you, you need to filter your sample. I mean, that, you need to filter your mobile face. 
filter your sample. Use inline fil inline filters. Use syringe filters for purification. Because and it's, that is probably the easiest and cheapest way of improving your chromatography. Because what happens is if you don't filter your sample, two things can happen. Or two two things that commonly happen are you can get some impurities from either resuspending a sample or within the sample itself that begins to build up on your HPLC column. And so with HPLC columns costing at the low end between $500 to $700 and syringe filters costing probably not even 5% of that price, you are, by not filtering your sample, you're actually costing yourself a lot more money and headaches in the long run. In addition to just fouling your column, you can actually, if it does, if the impurities don't build up on the column and you're coupling that to a mass spectrometer, you can get those impurities getting into your ESIMS system and that can actually lower ionization efficiency and thus if you don't ionize your sample or your analyte, you're not going to get any detection. So you're actually going to be lowering your detection limit by not filtering your sample. So that's the first thing that I would recommend. The second method development tip that I would consider doing is if you're working with a very hydrophobic protein that has a strong affinity for, uh, for binding to the silica surface, I would recommend perhaps considering using a tertiary solvent system. So perhaps if you're using water and acetonitrile mixtures in your reverse phase chromatography method, maybe add isopropyl alcohol or 1-butanol to your mobile phase. Because some, as I mentioned, some of these biomolecules, they tend to stick to the column, and by adding this tertiary or this, this alcohol component to your mobile phase, you can actually break up these secondary interactions. And thus, you can improve your peak shape and resolution of minor components within your sample. The third method development tip that I would mention also is one that we have completely transitioned over into our laboratories for reverse phase method development, and that's using difluoroacetic acid, DFA, instead of trifluoroacetic acid, or TFA. And so what we have noticed by using DFA instead of TFA is that we get the same really good ion pairing benefits that TFA provides in UV detection, but DFA does not cause as drastic of an, of an ion suppression that TFA does. So if you would use TFA in your mobile phase and run that into your mass spectrometer, you probably would not see any peaks in your TIC because what can happen is TFA ion, ion pairs so tightly to your analytes that they don't ionize, and so you don't see any, um, any resultant peak. So those are three big method development tips that I would recommend. I'll add a couple bonus items just as an FYI. Most method developers already use this, but make sure you have a preventive maintenance program in place for your instruments. So most people already do that. It usually comes with a, or it costs a bit more, but comes with the purchase of a new instrument, either a UHPLC or a mass spectrometer. Make sure you have that in place. It'll save you a lot of headaches in the future. And then whenever you have a PM done on your instrument, I highly recommend also developing a performance qualification test to go with that, that you run in-house. And so what a PQ can do for you is that most of the times we need to look at things like dwell volume or IBW or your gradient mixing and make sure that those are still operating correctly on your instrument. A P 
RPM, we'll tell you your instrument's running correctly, and we'll change out some consumables. But really, it's up to the art, up to you to figure out if your if what your dwell instrument dwell volume is, and if your gradient mixing's still in place. And finally, one last tip is to stay up to date on the literature. So read the literature, see what new methods have been developed, because let me tell you, honestly, a lot of there's a lot of very good papers out there in the literature that are easy to understand, not just for PhD holding R&D scientists, but for anyone who is at the bench working on chromatography, you can learn quite a lot and incorporate a lot of methods and learnings from these papers into your everyday workflows. And finally, where do you hope this field will be in five to ten years' time? So in five to ten years' time, what I'm thinking, where I think chromatography should be moving into, and it already has started taking steps in that direction, is going into the microchip format, so into a micro format. So instead of using these UHPLC MS instruments that take up a good deal amount of bench space, it would be amazing or perhaps innovative to essentially have your LC unit or your LCMS unit that is about the size of an iPhone. So you have uh, your micro pipetters that you can add your sample directly onto this iPhone-like mass spectral LCMS unit, and you can actually, you can actually do real-time analysis in the field without any sort of high-end instrumentation or bulky instrumentation that you have to report back to and be chained in the lab to look at. So there has been some development already in that direction, as I mentioned. There are some microchip columns that are already starting to be employed, and these already are showing phenomenal peak capacity and plate count than conventional LC columns. In addition, one other area that I think we should be expanding into is incorporating LCMS in areas outside of pharmaceutical and biopharma R&D and QC laboratories. For instance, I think it would be amazing to be able to, you know, incorporate LCMS technology in, ho in a hospital environment where there's already research being done in quantitating and using biomarkers, certain proteins or metabolites to diagnose diseases. So I just think it would be, from a, my own personal interest and all, would be, I would find it quite interesting to, when I go to the doctors for a checkup or if I'm sick or I'm having numbers ran, on me for you know my general health parameters that besides the table of numbers you also get a couple chromatograms on your chart showing you know that okay you you have your cholesterol you know you have this biomarker here and you have this biomarker later on your run and you know they're at these these peak heights or peak areas and that can actually indicate whether or not you have you know if you're got a chronic disease that's slowly starting to develop or if you're in good health. So I think those two areas hold a lot of, lot of benefits and a lot of promise for the future of HPLC. Great, thank you for listening to this Bioanalysis Zone interview and thank you to Corey for joining me. You can find more content on our latest spotlight on large molecule quantification by LCMS on our website at www.bioanalysis-zone.com. Thanks for listening.